Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Can you describe to us the day that you were in the parking structure, the day that um, you put uh, all your chips on one bet, possibly, uh, the day that you were, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess many people would call it a, a rock bottom, but also, it was also the day that um, I feel like uh, was, was your bounce back or maybe the beginning of that yeah it was um my wife and i had produced a large-scale national comedy festival in downtown las vegas Mm -hmm. and while it was a critical success and well received by those that attended it was you know a slow rolling financial disaster yeah that i saw coming lived in denial, tried to put things together, you know, lost a little integrity along the way. And, you know, was kind of in this mentality, what I call a heist mentality, that it's like, okay, if I can pull this off, then I can pay Mm, off all the debts. I can do this. And after the first night, when I knew for sure that we were going to be seven figure debt hit, Mm. um, I woke up, you know, my wife was still asleep at the hotel and uh, went to the parking structure and stood on the edge. And, um, you know, the the irony was not lost on me that I was planning to whack myself at a comedy festival. I thought that that would be, that would be bad for the overall theme of it and everything. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, I was saved you, by... Um... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saved by the, you know, the memory and images of my, of my kids and, um, and stepped back. And I can honestly say that day was the beginning of my redemption and reinvention. Yeah. Um, so when you were standing on, on, the, uh, on the edge, on the roof of the parking structure, um, you said your kids. How old are your kids? Um, now they're 15 and 12. Then mm-hmm. they were 10 and, yeah, 10 and 7. So what were you thinking uh, as you were standing there? Was it a uh, kind of like challenge to yourself? Was it, uh, you know, kind of going back? You know, I'm sure there's a lot of um, inner dialogue. And then obviously uh, you seeing your, your kids and maybe that um, emotionally bringing you back back down. Um, but what, what was going on inside? I, w- I was struck by the binary nature of it. There wasn't any gray area that we- – the one thing that wasn't present was the fear of being up there. It wasn't like, oh, wow, I'm mm. four stories up. What the hell am I doing here? No, it was like, it's going to be over. I, I drifted into what you hear about is hitting that euphoria of making the decision and being now invested in it and going to go through with it. And there's sort of a peace that comes mm. with that. And then on the flip side was just the hardcore love that I had for my children. And then the word that kept going through my head was contagion because I had read about and, you know, been close to suicide. And you often, when you read into it, you realize that they refer to it as a contagion around when somebody commits suicide, it affects other people and and causes sometimes collateral damage at other suicides. And I'm like, okay, I can't do that. And It was the love that I had for them and the ownership of, of a father going, yeah, you, you cannot do this to them. After that day, what happened to you? What happened to you internally? Uh, what was the next morning like? It was, it was hell. I mean, the, it was actually mm-hmm. the next month was hell because we, you know, begged and borrowed to, you know, cover the people that we owed money to and um you know took from inheritances did this borrow i mean it was it was hell and then that caused a second 
episode where I'm like, okay, this wasn't worth it. It was my 50th birthday. And I sort of had that, you know, the, the more, you know, indelicate way of saying it. I had, you know, that 50 year old minute midlife crisis is like, this is great half a century. And this is what you got. They'll show for it. And, um, had one more episode and that's when my wife said, that's it. I'm out. I'm, I'm done. Mm. And, um, it led to a summer of separation after that. And that's, that was the catalyst of like, look, man, you can either get your shit together or end up in a one bedroom studio with one piece of furniture and bad vertical blinds for the rest of your life and be that <laughs> sad old guy. And, and I've, and I, even my best friend even told me, he's like, I don't know how you come back from this. He's like, I, you know, he goes, I love you and I support you, but a new life is waiting for you because I don't think you can save your family. What was, uh, quote unquote, getting your shit together? Like, what did that even look like? It was, it was doing everything I could to provide safety. Um, it was communicated to my wife at years afterwards that during that period, as a wife and a mother, she didn't feel safe. And it wasn't that she didn't feel safe for her own physical safety. It wasn't that it was financially, um, you know, mm -hmm. me being present, me being a partner, you know, somebody to rely on in a family structure. And I wasn't right. that for a multitude of reasons. And, and, you know, and we can talk about that. I, you know, it just wasn't financial. I had learned that I was suffering from chronic undiagnosed chronic illness, mm -hmm. that I was self-medicating with, you know, with red wine that worked perfectly. And so I was not with it. So I came out of that and all that went away and I needed to provide safety and to my family and show them that, that, that is what was coming. And that is what I was building to. And that meant, you know, taking any job I could, um, you know, we were separated that summer. So I took any job I could. I ended up literally working at an Apple store blue t-shirt and everything mm -hmm. just yeah. nobody knew who I was. I loved it. The anonymity right. was fantastic and just interfacing with strangers who knew nothing of my past. That was, that was restorative. And then, Oh, so you're saying that, so working at the Apple store was actually a, a good thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, a rock bottom thing, but there was something about the anonymity of that, that, um, that charged you back up. Yeah, I was able to, you know, yeah. as a as a branding and creative guy, I'm like, oh my god, I'm in the belly of the beast. I get to study from mm -hmm. the inside. This is fantastic. Um, the people that work there were fantastic. It was a great, great group of people. It was a store that had a tremendous amount of international clients, and again, the the anonymity and the structure of like going somewhere, punching in, doing your work, getting out was exactly mm -hmm. what I needed after years of just, you know diffused entrepreneurial craziness. Yeah, this is actually really important. Um, coming out of uh, big projects and, um, you know, like you said, seven figures then in debt, um, coming out of uh, um, no one telling you what to do, but you, you know, creating things. Uh, and I think, I think with your wife to then punching a clock and the simplicity of just putting on, you know, the blue shirt and helping people, um, that must have been really refreshing because uh, you don't have any weight on your shoulders at that time. And you it was. Needed I, that. Yeah. And, and I could feel myself changing because I knew that five years before I would have seen that as a step down or I would have, it, it would have rocked my ego. But the pride mm -hmm. and emotion that I felt when my kids came running into the Apple store because it was cool and you know, there, there was this BB-8, remote-controlled BB-8 that you could drive with your iPhone. And my son, they used to set up my son so he could play with it. And it was like, mm -hmm. okay, now I'm not providing money, but I'm providing a healthy, happy dad who can get yeah. this to my son. And just that little act of, like, letting my son play with a BB-8 in an Apple store that he thought was cool, was that was one step. It's like, okay, we're, we're moving in the right direction. So uh, the Apple store was um, grounding for you. It was handrails. It was soil. It was the beginning of starting over. Uh, what happened after that? Um, 
Then, then, then the fate smiled on me and through networking that I'd done prior to the Apple store. Um, and then in fact, I was trying to do the comedy festival again. And I was meeting a lot of people. Somebody was involved in the esports industry and I used to work in the video game. My very first corporate job was at Sega. So, mm -hmm. um, here in Vegas, they were opening the largest esports arena um, inside the Luxor, and they needed a creative director, they needed a creative guy. And I swung for the fences and I got that one. And Smash Cut, you know, after opening this, you know, doing big Vegas opening, being back in my zone of being a creative executive, and now, and then my wife, who's an event producer, I brought her in. So we were working together again. And um, come CES, we pulled off some major things and then the opening, and then we pulled off an event with Ninja that broke records. Then I was chief creative officer of a multinational Chinese esports company. And I was big swing and crank again. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I've done it. I, I made everybody safe. We're making great money. Isn't everything okay, honey? And then, no, you invariably learned that you know, one thing doesn't fix it. Um, my, my personal development kind of stopped at that point. Cause I thought I had, mm -hmm. as long as the big fat checks were coming in, we're good. Right. Right. And, um, and then in 2019, you know, is when she told me, she's like, look, I, you know, a lot was damaged back in 2017, um, with the festival and I don't think I can do this. And that mm -hmm. was, that was the, the sequel to the redemption. It was like, Oh, I haven't fixed what was broken. I just papered it over really well, but then now the work begins. So did you guys try uh, couples and stuff like that? Or was, um, was it over for her? It, it's like the trust couldn't be built back or maybe the chemistry changed. Um, it was, it was, she knew it was done. It was, it was all those things, but what we always had that never really got snuffed out was that we had incredible respect for each other. We were friends mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of going to the whole Gottman thing, contempt had never slipped in. There wasn't hatred. Right. There wasn't contempt. Yeah. There wasn't. Yeah. So we were really lucky in that regard. And we knew that no matter what, we were going to be fantastic co-parents. And then we were also teammates and working um, together. So we were able to, cohabitate be fantastic parents the house was a house full of love but um her and i were definitely challenged and we were we were looking for a way out let me ask you this i put a bookmark there um going this, this is my last question with the uh the structure i had a guest on once who um he he was kind of uh i don't he he was in the car he was done. He wanted to end his life, and, and he was in a car that didn't have a radio. Um, the radio was there, but the wires were all, you know, they were they were uh, they weren't connected. The radio doesn't work at all. Um, and he told me that uh, he was pr crying, praying, and um, before pulling the trigger, the radio came on. Hmm. And after all of this, uh, the radio never turned on again. And he, you know, checked to see if. Um, maybe the wires were connected and it, it was completely um, there was there was no uh, way that the radio should have come on in any way but it came on and played a, a, a specific song so for you did you have any kind of uh, moment like that 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 was um, bigger than you or spiritual was there a feeling um, or was it just kind of like a numbness and then you came down and it's so funny you were describing that story and it made me think about it. And it's like, no, that was one of the contributing factors is there was no magic left. There was mm. nothing. I mean, I felt, mm. you know, like I had, I had blown all my chips, as you said, it was, there was nothing coming to save me. And I think that that was what kickstarted me. It was like, nobody's going to pull your ass out of the fire except you. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. until you fix, until you fix you, this it doesn't matter. So now you're divorced. Um, you still have the job, the big job, or no? Big job. We're 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 still married, still living together. Oh, okay. We we okay. we we flew close to the sun. 
um, but never never um, went there. Um, it was oh, so really you, so uh, okay, so it was on the rocks, and then the uh, what happened? Did you move out for a while? What, what... We were separated earlier, and okay. um, you know the Apple Store days, and um, and then we came back together. Kids were you know here in school. And, um, and then that's when I began, she began her journey of doing work. Um, we went to one couples therapist and the couples therapist pretty much saved us money in just like five minutes, looked at us and goes to my wife, you're codependent and you're a pile of shame. And I was like, and we both like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much right. That's this, this pretty much it. And so we went and worked on those things individually and instead of couples individually. Yeah. yeah. And then. Yeah would come back together and, you know, and things got better until they really got better, you know, really recently. And, um, you know, the growth has been kind of exponential from that, from that 2019. And I mean, look, it is, it's unbelievable for me to sit here because 2019 is when I told that story of when I was had the big job and walking through the Burbank airport and I saw I used to be a miserable fuck. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, Oh my God. So they're writing books for me, you know, personal. <laughs> and I bought it. And, you know, there was a line in there that resonated with me so deeply and so profoundly. And it was the one that I went from her lips to her nipple yeah, from, her mouth to her nipple. Yeah, that happened to me. Her mouth to her nipple. And, uh, and my wife read that too, and she's just like, yeah, couldn't much. And I wrote, you, I wrote you a letter asking if you were taking on clients. I remember that. It was a little bit yeah, of Yeah, I probably didn't respond. <laughs> I mean, I knew, it was a, I knew it was a note in the bottle, but it was just getting it out there. Yeah. And so to be sitting here is a little, is, um, a little full circle and um, – been really really cool wow I, you know i think i remember this i think you told me but um um but uh just to be re reminded now um serendipity uh you know um people being connected uh pay off that kind of stuff because uh, it plays in my head like a movie and <laughs> seeing you uh, at the airport picking up um my book and then suddenly, I, I have uh, the email. picture that I sent it to my wife. I, I still have the picture that I texted her and it's like my salad and the book. I'm like, look what I found. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, what's interesting for the, uh, air, uh the, 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 what's interesting about the airport scene is, um, so one of my false beliefs, um, that I'm still dissolving is, uh, that I was a failed writer and, uh, it wasn't an agent. It wasn't getting paid as a writer. You know, it wasn't the first few books. Uh, I still carried that, that false belief, but it was also me standing in the airport, uh, when Hudson picked up miserable fuck, uh, it, for some reason, me, me standing in the airport and holding that book did something to me, shifted something in me. And that was the beginning of me starting to believe that, Oh, maybe I'm not a failed writer, you know, maybe, um, I, I, I have some value, some worth, like all that stuff. So, uh, the, the man standing in the airport, holding onto that book, uh, wasn't just you, but it was also me and, you know, tied to my story as well. So can, can I ask you that prior to that moment, you had, you probably had a cadre of people telling you how good your writing was and that, you know, you, you're amazing. And it's, and there was a point that it really didn't matter until you had to believe it yourself. And that was that moment. Yeah. I, by the way, I don't know if I've ever had anyone tell me how good my writing was. Uh, I think there was uh, the compliments I would get was um, humanizing, you know, and I, I had a, a runway because I had a Tumblr, Tumblr blog uh, 12 years ago, but um, honest humanizing that, that kind of you know, compliment here and there. Um, and then of course, um, blogging for for big publications like psychology today and stuff that was that was that was really um affirming but uh yeah it was something about holding on to your book at the airport and i think part of it was because uh it's really hard to get your book into the airport and so they had to pick it up and uh, for some reason they did probably because of the title and a lot of miserable people at the airport <laughs> um <laughs> But there was something about holding that that book in the airport that did something to me. Yeah, 
I don't know if I answered your it's, question. But. Yeah, no, man, it's it's a totem. I mean, it is a, it is an artifact from from an era, and um, it it I've spoken to a lot of people who who I recommended it to, and um, it it is still in their person. Mm, thank you. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, the visual is is uh, it's interesting because um, I didn't really know this, and so now because I, I um, I'm a very visual person, right? Like I think in, in in with photographs, not not so much words, and things kind of light up for me. Um, and so the the scene that I see is split screen, you holding on to the book uh, at the airport, and how that from mouth to nipple resonated with you. And then me holding on to the book at the airport and how, you know, something shifted in me. Um, but going back to the mouth, the nipple, and this is important. Uh, yeah. In my marriage, yeah, the relationship dynamic changed because when I met her, um, I was her partner. We were equals. Uh, and I was, you know, doing a lot of things. And, you know, it was like I asked myself, where am I going? And then who's coming with me? And then once I got married, things changed where I was now the guy um, who was, you know, picking up dog poop uh, with a dishwashing glove at home, you know, while she was traveling and, um, you know, making movies and stuff. And so um, I flipped it where now I was putting weight on who's going with me and then where am I going? And that changed the dynamic. And then I went from, you know, her, her partner to her son. Yeah, it's. I, th I think a lot of a lot of men who either have strong maternal figures in their life or just have not been briefed on what it means to not necessarily be married, but be in a modern partnership mm -hmm. <clears throat> and accept the fact that as soon as you get married, a woman is not supposed to adopt antiquated duties, you know, that, that book, Fair Play, you know. Oh, yeah, that's big. It's a great one. It's like who who demanded that when a woman gets married she immediately is doing your your laundry right. you know right. and and i think that 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 no matter how much you consider yourself you know a feminist and or somebody that has the utmost respect it you especially when you're in crisis you slip into those modes that aren't the most attractive <laughs> Yes. Uh, so describe for you, what was that? Describe that mode that you tended to slip into. It, it was when I began to, when the winning streak on the entrepreneurial side and the ventures, when it, when it began to erode and I was, I used to describe it as I was like falling down a hillside, grabbing at branches. Mm -hmm. And as I was trying to go after the next thing or bring this client in or do this project, I was beginning to pull myself away from the family and kind of being like, look, I'm trying to earn the money. Now you take care of the kids. That wasn't explicit, but it was implied. It was, yeah. it, and I wasn't present. I mean, my wife used to always joke that line from the Incredibles where she screams at him. She's like, Bob, you know, right. <laughs> you know, and just getting him, you know, present. And, um, that's, that's kind of what it was. You, you lose, everything becomes opaque and you just become opaque and then myopic. I'm just, I just supposed to earn money. You're supposed to take it. You, mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. don't, and it's such a, it, it's so weird. I feel that it's insulting for me to say it out loud. It's almost chauvinistic, but when you are a man who has been charged with providing safety, providing all of this, and you're not pulling it off, your self-worth goes down, your priorities, as far as how you, disperse your energies right. just go all over the place and then a lot of you know self-medicating bad habits that's where fairs yeah. come in you know you, you can just see the pathology off of that whole thing when did things start to turn for you uh, i also love this other layer of your story where uh as you say you, you and your wife were um really close to the sun um most marriages don't make it um and i i actually i, I didn't know i thought you guys got a divorce but um, things came back around. So when was that turning point? Um, it was actually, it, it started when, it started when she saw me doing the work, like when mm -hmm. things were no longer like, Oh, if you can make it three months without doing this, um, you know, I, I stopped cold Turkey, um, drinking 
Mm-hmm. And um, that it's going to be three years ago. And I was a late bloomer too. I never started drinking until I was 38. So I, I made up for lost time in that period. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I started um, the thing that helped me um, microdosing saved my life. Uh, I, I found, Mushrooms? yeah, found psilocybin and I was using the Fadiman protocol, the Dr. Fadiman protocol, who's mm-hmm. like one of the grandfathers of it. And um, that helped immensely. And then I know it sounds weird, but I felt called to ayahuasca. I found an amazing guide and I thought it was going to have to go down to Costa Rica. And instead Costa Rica came to me and somebody who used to be down in, um, at one of the beautiful plant medicine resorts down there actually lived in Vegas and was doing a ceremony. And um, I prepared for it and I did it. And that was when, that was when the carapace started to crack. That's when I was addressed traumas and saw, Mm -hmm. um, you know, saw things and then was all, and then was very, very, very profoundly affected by the process of integration. I, I, I was disabused of the fact real quick that you just don't, you just don't go for three days and throw up in a bucket and see things and then you're mm-hmm. fixed. Right. It really begins after the ceremony and integrating and processing it and knowing it's going to be messy. And, um, and within a two year period, I had done three ceremonies, which the last one in October and that one ended. And I was, I actually had a, per- I felt a presence go, you know what? We made this one so repellent for you that you would never come back because you're, you're good. Make room for somebody else. Now go. And um, mm. I kind of felt that it was a, it was a interesting thing, but then I was also body hacking. I was doing um, fixing my diet, really looking into gut flora and mind connection, right. um, addressing my depression from a holistic standpoint with diet. And then, um, and then things really kicked up a notch when I started doing cold plunges. And um, that was, man, that was a system reset that I did not plan on at all. Were that you doing those daily? Uh, I do them once in a while, but how were you doing those? Just a tub and ice or what, what were you doing? I was, I was going out to the pool and we live in Vegas. So the pool mm. would get down to in the winter, you know, 38, 42 degrees. And so did you just dive in, like not the shell under the pool? You're talking about just diving straight in head first? I just literally buck naked strode oh into the pool. <laughs> well, I, I learned really quick that if you wore like loose board shorts and if you mm, moved, worse. Right. it would break the heat barrier that you had created. And at, you know, at 40 degrees, you'll take anything you get. Um, but the, the reset on the brain chemistry coming out of that, like the rest of the day was just yeah. boom i'm making yeah. breakfast for the kids i'm making their lunch i'm driving them i'm having a productive day at work i'm working out i can notice body changes shifting and notice how, how you know, many minutes in the in the um freezing water i um, started naked. i started and made it 43 seconds the very first time i did it mm-hmm. <laughs> and the end of this past winter when it started to you know warm up over 50 degrees i was in there for about 13 14 minutes wow yeah and um you're you're just standing there or are you swimming what are you doing to to the pool standing there um doing a little emdr sometimes um just getting my breathing under control um you know if you listen to huberman lab talks about you know in those situations of that kind of hormetic stress of doing like cognitive things like doing multiplication tables and just having getting your mind out of the fact that you're freezing and your body screaming get out before you get hypothermia and things like that so channeling that energy into a focused point and do you still do it today or yeah i do it's it's cold showers in the summer until I get, until I get one of the self-contained units, but, um, but actually kind of looking forward to the winter. And that's to say every day I did it, I didn't like it less than the day before it's, it's mis- at five thirty in the morning. Yeah. It is the last thing you want to do. Oh, I can't even imagine. I mean, I can't, uh, 
I do it when it's, you know, a uh, hundred degrees outside and do it in my driving room, uh, my, 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 my driving, uh, my, in my driveway in a, um, uh, a little plastic tub. Yeah. I don't do it uh, inside a swing point. I can imagine that that's terrifying, <laughs> but, um, so- yeah, but I feel when I come out, I feel, um, clarity. I feel, um, calm. I feel like you said, like a reset. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 these little things, my my wife was noticing like, this is not the same guy anymore. This is this is somebody mm-hmm. driven. This is somebody that's found purpose. And then, then when things, when you reach that point, we'd reach this point of almost mutual autonomy. And I realized, oh wait, I can you know if if this does all go to hell in a handbasket, I can I, I'll be fine on my own. I'll be fine being a co-parenting dad if this goes to shit. And then when I was comfortable with that, that's when things exploded and were great. I mean, that's when I signed up to begin um, taking a class to become certified as a crisis advocate at the LGBTQ center. That's Mm -hmm. when the podcast became more confessional and cathartic and engaging, you know, with the guests that I had, I was, now living an authentic life. I had spoken about, you know, coming out as bisexual man of color on my podcast. And then two months later, I spoke with you about my suicide ideation. So all of a sudden I was living in this world that anybody who knew me or would encounter me, knew me authentically, warts and all. And man, that was a liberating space to be. I wasn't shoehorning myself. I wasn't taking on any kind of identities. And then, then the coaching and coaching was a big part, cold plunge, plant medicine. And I had some phenomenal coaches and that happened at the beginning two years ago. And that's when I saw, you know, people like yourself, but then I had also worked with coaches like in Silicon Valley. And I'm like, oh, you can, you can punch at this weight class. You can, you can be a coach at Google. All right. Wait a minute. This may be something here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. thank God I didn't respond to your email. Cause that would have fucked this whole thing up for you. Yeah, you, would have, <laughs> you wouldn't have gone on your rebirth. I would have, uh, uh, my collision with you would have kept you down. Uh, so you started going back from her, uh, now climbing up from her nipple, to, her nipple to her mouth, right? Yeah. Now you had, um, a, a cape. I always tell people that, uh, I, I, uh, during my transformation turned my little bib into a cape. Uh, a small cape, but you know, it was here and I was able to, so finding purpose, finding uh, a sense of self, um, being uh, courageous enough to start pulling from, from your solid self, you know, uh, like you said, being authentic, vulnerable on your podcast, like basically changing the temperature of every room you go in because um, you are now living inside out instead of outside in. 100%. That's that's exactly what happened. It was, I was now at a point where I, you know, is, is simple as it sounds, I liked myself. I mean, I did an audit. I'm like, Mm -hmm. do I want to go back into the creative world and be a creative director at Instagram? Or do I want to be a ascendant coach on my way up and also still teach at UNLV, which I love and then being a crisis advocate and then all by being a good dad and a great mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. I like that guy. That's the direction I want to go. Yeah. While you were doing this work, uh, was your wife also doing stuff or was she just waiting? <laughs> uh, no, she was, she was doing, she was doing her own thing. I mean, she's an event yeah. producer. So she was, she had clients. She was um, doing things that were. No, I mean like internal work. I, I'm talking about like, uh, oh. did she go on a uh, internal journey herself while you were uh, quote unquote doing the work as they say? She worked. Um, she worked with somebody um, who was part intuitive, part coach, part friend. Um, it was, it was very insular. It was very bespoke and what she needed. And, um, and that, um, that worked for her. So you also uh, noticed her changing as well. I did. I did. And, yeah. and you know what, in the weakest moments that scared me because she was accelerating. She was doing better than I was at times. Like, Oh, oh I'm really, I'm going to lose her. She's, she's feeling her oats. She's, she's off and running. 
You know, um, Vanessa and I just got into uh, a little bit of a, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, a uh, fight argument. Um, and we were talking about or arguing about uh, um, how when couples go to um, therapy individually, there's the risk that their evolution, their growth can actually create drift. And this is why um, a lot of couples don't make it in couples therapy. Uh, and I was expressing my, my fear to her. Uh, it didn't come out the way that I, I, that I meant and we got into it. But um, yeah, I think that when you are uh, in therapy or on your inner journey, uh, as, you, as you're saying, you can grow either faster or you can drift from your partner because um, you're going through the transformation. And the result of that can actually uh, make you realize that that uh, maybe the relationship isn't for you. Yeah, I used to get scared that it would knock me off my game. Like I would be feeling good, like, oh man, I'm just, I'm crushing it. This is great. I'm right. on a path. And then I would, you know, she would be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this for me. And I'd be mm -hmm. like, then I would <laughs> slip into insecure little boy. And, um, and that was an interesting place to be, to have that held up to your face and go and all right, get, get yourself under control. Right. It's the, yeah. um, the cape coming back around or the, uh, yeah. you know, going, dropping back. It's the snapback, dropping back to the, the nipple kind of thing. Um, yeah. but of course those moments you are aware and, uh, they're a lot shorter. So you're not living there. Uh, Cause I think we all snap back, you know? Um, but, uh, um, not living there is what's important, you know? Yeah. And so, so the, 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 all the work that you've done on yourself, um, if you trust it, that you do come back from that. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. I'm starting to find these moments where I kind of called it my sugar and gluten soaked chrysalis of this past summer. You know, it was like mm -hmm. after my, after my birthday, um, lost my COVID virginity, you know, wasn't able to train, went down. Then we had some family vacation. So I wasn't able to be this regimented, structured, focused dude. And I didn't lose my, you know, I didn't lose my mind like I would in the past. Right. And right. when I did slip into little depressive spells or get down on myself, it was as if I was looking at myself in a plexiglass box. I wasn't like lying in my own sick. I was able to look on the side and go, all right, this will pass. You know, it's just chemicals. You know how to get out of this. You know, you eventually will get out of this. So just, you know, keep your arms and head in the car at all times. Don't do anything. And um, this will be, this will be okay. It'll be okay. And that, there was a lot of strength in having that exercise at my disposal because Paul of, five ten years ago would not have done that i would have you know yeah, taken out a, um, that, taken a that's really an good bottle of you, wine. Uh, that's an example of you trusting yourself thank you yeah 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 and it's also proof that your relationship with self is improving uh you know if if uh, five years ago you would have went to wine or something else and now uh you're talking yourself off the ledge, you know, so to speak. And, and, and also um, trusting that uh, where you've gone and come back has changed you. And uh, the work that you've done on yourself is going to carry you through these, uh, you know, moments, these trenches. Yeah. Cause there's a, there's an interesting thing that I think a lot of people do is when they, you know, they can look at themselves and then they, they shame themselves. Like, come on, you're better yeah, than of course. this. You know, pull yeah. yourself up by your bootstraps and, and, but to have compassion for yourself and be like, it's okay, man. And, you know, it actually happened to me my very first ayahuasca ceremony. I had this presence, like this noble masculine presence come over me. And I just remember being in this, this elderly, strong man. I had this feeling like, oh, mijo, oh, you know, mm. You're, you're better than this, but it was compassionate. It was like, ah, oh, come on, man, let's just dust yourself off. Let's, you know, kind of, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's talk it out. Mm -hmm. It's, it's going to be okay, but this isn't you. And to deal with yourself with that kind of compassion and that kind of, you know, global perspective, instead of just like that, you know, 11 AM on a Tuesday morning where you're still in bed and 
living yeah. in your own pain, yeah, that that begins to recede. You said mijo. Do you speak Spanish? I am. I am what they call pocho. Um, I can pull off the accent, and I'm my, my yeah, mother's yeah. Mexican, but I have been deprived the accent. I mean, I've been deprived no. the language. How about yeah, yourself? Yeah, yeah. Uh, poco, más o menos. I uh, studied, you know, uh, Spanish one two uh, in 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 high school, but we've had restaurants uh, growing up, and so uh, oh, always okay. just you know, powing out in the kitchen, and uh, mostly um, you know. Uh, bad words but uh yeah over the years um just yeah. speaking spanish and uh, uh so yeah i mean not not uh, i'm not fluent but uh but i could speak what about your mother spanish. tongue oh i can speak korean oh you okay i can speak korean right. yeah i can't read or write it but uh came here when i was three and uh um i i could speak korean you know fluently i could get around i can't read or write so i can't um I could ask for directions and stuff, but I couldn't. I can't read billboards or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. cool. So let me ask you this: Where Where are you now? Um, what's your state now? And tell us about uh, all the things that you're doing, including uh, your podcast. Yeah. Um, so in that period, working with a coach, I remember when I expressed interest in being a coach. He's like, "All right, well, who do you want to coach?" And I mean, I must have got hit on the head with a magic wand. It just fell out of my mouth. I'm like, smart, funny, tortured people. I go, that's my jam. I go, I I know those people. And that brand kind of stuck. And Mm -hmm. that from there, I crafted the podcast while the coaching and the learning and the apprenticing with other coaches. And then, and then, you know, fantastic experience with Lumia and all that. And then now the coaching is primary. I mean, I have stepped out that the smartfunnytortured.com website is smart, funny, tortured coach with a podcast. Mm. It's not Mm. just a pod. I'm not hiding behind my podcast anymore. I've been slowly like peeking out and now it's like, I know who I want to coach, how I want to coach for now, because I know it's an evolution. And um, and really enjoying the hell out of it. What a uh, what an amazing story, you know. Um, and that's kind of what resonated with me with you since I met you. Uh, your your hero's journey, you know. Your uh, uh, and I could relate to, to to many parts of your story. Your call to adventure, you slaying dragons, um, coming back to the village changed, and now you helping other people. Uh, in all these different ways. So whether it's via podcasting or individual coaching or, you know, just being a, a powerful catalyst in this, in this life. Um, it's amazing. And, and I, I think this is kind of the, the, the point, you know, uh, human beings to go somewhere and come back and go from a stone to a prism. And uh, I see it happening in you. And, and I, I think anyone who's listening to this, um, wherever you're at, this is how it works. You know, it's not overnight and um, you can be where Paul was, which was bottom and you can be where he is now, you know? Thank you, John. That means, yeah. that means the world. Yeah. It's, um, I don't often think of it in, in those terms. And now I'm just kind of inebriated by the opportunities that exist because of, you know, finally having purpose and really enjoying being around authentic people and talking to people with like stories. And one of the things with my, with the coaching that I kind of bucked at at the beginning is never, it never resonated with me. And I think that's why, you know, not to overplay it, but that's why I used to be a miserable fuck spoke to me was because I didn't go with the whole like power within or awaken your potential Mm -hmm. or, you know, or talk to us about your relationship or your job. I was like, man, if you don't fix the core, if you don't fix your foundation, nothing else is going to. And then that's when, so I don't, so when I, the whole structure of what I want to build out and coaching is like, is going through the smart, funny, tortured because I think that's, we all have that. And, you know, the smart is your gifts, your edge, 
the, the learned knowledge that you've had that you can make the world work, your world work. And then the funny isn't funny, ha ha, but your flow state, your joy, the things that you emanate that make other people smile around you. And then, of course, mm-hmm. tortured is your self-limiting beliefs and your obstacles. And that's where I like to stay because that's where most people live. I mean, you you know that as a therapist and a coach. I mean, people live in their defense mechanisms in their pain and their trauma it manifests so yeah i'm not afraid to you know (laughs) it's a shame-free zone man try try to shock me after what i've been through it's like let's talk uh it's you're hard to shock also uh just jumping into uh ice cold freezing uh swimming pools at 5 30 a.m once that becomes a routine for you there isn't going to be much that's going to shock you uh but the other thing is I noticed also right away that you speak the language and there are a lot of people in this world who are um, copy and paste coaches, what, what I call them, meaning um, taking information that they've heard or like they haven't personally um, been anywhere, but their coach because they're either charismatic or they have a lot of followers or, you know, um, more of a, a surface reason and um, they don't speak the language like you do. And so I noticed right away that um, by the way that you speak, that you've actually been somewhere, that you have um, an amazing story and, and you've done um, you know, a lot of internal work. And I think those coaches, just by um, their presence, uh, how they see the world now, how they uh, deliver how they um, engage with you is so potent that that alone to me is coaching. You know what I'm saying? So it's like trusting um, people who have reinvented people who have transformed people who have uh, secondary change, change that's not reversible, right? Those people just engaging with them um, is it's, it's a, uh, it's almost a contagious, I don't know how to explain it, but it's uh, inspiring. It's contagious it's uplifting. And then on top of that, of course, you know, if they have coaching tools, uh, man, they're just, uh, they become superheroes. That's thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I always used to think, you know, you, when you say smart, funny, tortured and the people that you're describing, those are the people that you kind of gravitate towards. Like you see it at a party or somebody tells Mm -hmm. you about, you know, I mean, you know, when you used to do your nonprofit work, I'm sure you were around, I'm sure there were characters that you're like, man, that guy's seen some stuff and they were nothing but yeah. interesting and engaging and they may be still a little bit broken, but man, could they, you know, throw out some pearls of wisdom here and there. And those are the ones you want at your dinner party, your cocktail party. You don't mm-hmm. want somebody that's made it through on an alabaster slide and, you know, is showing up. The most beautiful people on the planet are the people that have, um, endured the most, you know, been, um, um, broken and piece themselves back together stronger. Uh, there's that Japanese art uh, that always reminds me of this. The it's a yeah. kinj, I forgot what it's called, but the, um, it's um, broken pieces that they glue back together with gold. And so the bowl or the plate um, is now lined with gold, and it, it's 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 uh, it had to be shattered to have now, you know, be art. And I think that was my wife's. That was my wife's Christmas gift last Christmas. Oh, was it? Did you, you bought her one of those? <laughs> yeah, and I, um, I remember. I just, I, I, I don't know when I first discovered that, but I thought it was just a great visual representation of um, the human process. Yeah, it's pretty. It's um, it's pretty special. Um, I don't yeah. wish it on anybody. Um, there's, there's probably better ways <laughs> to you know, to find enlightenment or, you know, a, a healthier path. But um, it was the one that was sketched out for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and um, me too. And, and uh, we have different stories, of course, but um, some of the turning points are the same. Some of the act breaks are the same, you know, and, and uh, like the, the mouth, the nipple and, and some of that stuff uh, I can relate to for sure. So yeah. what's next for you? As you build your empire. Um, I, I really want to, I want to coach at scale. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, do, you know, I am doing individual coaching, 
but um, you know, I'm building out a, a curriculum. I'm building structure to what I kind of integrating what worked for me and the examination now that I do, I want to kind of produce it at scale and have people, I, wa I want to work with people who see smart, funny, tortured or see the direction that I'm going in and the kind of coach that I am and go, yeah, all right. Okay. That guy's speaking my, my language. I'm, I'm, I'm not here for professional development. I'm not here for this. I'm here to get a little messy and mm -hmm. have some fun, hopefully, but yeah. also crack yeah. some stuff open. Yeah, you're um, going to continue um, to be uh, smart, funny, and tortured, <laughs> right? Um, where can we find you? Where can we find you on social? And obviously, uh, the, the name of this podcast, uh, it's wide, so uh, iTunes, Spotify, correct? Yep. And um, yeah, and make it simple, and it's smartfunnytortured.com. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, Paul, thank you so much for sharing your story, and um yeah, I think I just uh, thank you for coming on my show and um, also popping into office hours every Monday and uh, being being light. Uh, so I, I I appreciate you, brother. And um, yeah, this is um, this is a special moment for me. It was um, the the honor of being you know three years ago of airport to now being invited to do this. Um, the the magnitude is not lost on me and i thank you for that opportunity oh thank you thank you yeah. all right guys go to uh smartfunnytortured.com um check out paul on social you can follow the story as it continues to be a, a catalyst and a bright point in many people's lives and uh, yeah and reach out, reach out. thank you yeah. for listening to Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.